0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. That was encouraging and convicting. Thank you, Pastor Josiah. All right. We have an opportunity for you to help your kiddos with the Bible right now. If you're sitting next to your kids, and I hope if you have kids in here, you're sitting next to them. uh, If you pull out your Bible, whether on your phone or paper Bible, make your way to the book of Jude and I would encourage that if you have your kids next to you, ask them to go there. And that might be tough. It's okay. It's in the New Testament. Do they know where the New Testament is? And see if you can show them and, and see if you can direct them to Jude. It doesn't have chapter numbers. so This one's a little tricky. But Jude verse 3. Help them to find the third verse and see if they can see where we are going to be reading together from God's word. It's a great way to help disciple your kids as we go to help them to get comfortable with the Word of God. I would encourage, if they have one, if they're a little older, some of the little kids, this might be tough, but if they have a full Bible, to bring their Bible and get in the habit of finding it in their own copy of God's Word. At this point, I am hear lots of pages turning, which is great. At this point, it should be pretty obvious, we're going to Jude chapter 3. So I'd like to start with the reading of this. What was this? Verse 3. I just said there are no chapters in Jude. I heard a kid and a parent and a kid all go, verse (laughs) 3, which is wonderful. Okay, Um, Jude, the only chapter, verse 3. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once For all, Let's pray. God, as we work through your word, and as we seek to understand your word, as we hope to hear from your word, Lord, I ask you to push all the distractions that are outside the room, maybe shopping lists and task lists, away. And I ask you to push all the distractions that might be inside of the room away, that we could give our full attention to you, which we really do owe to you, that we could learn from it and grow from it and know you well from it. Lord, help us to see Christ in this this morning. Help me to preach it well. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's really tempting to think in the verse that I just read to you that you get the word although. Hey, I was eager to write to the salvation we share. Although I found it necessary, right? I wanted to speak about salvation. I wanted to. You know, I suspect by maybe sharing the gospel and talking about what Jesus has done. But, ah, oh, bummer. Instead... I have to write about the problem of these destructive apostates that have snuck into the church. What a bummer, right? Oh, darn. It's really clear that's what he means by the sentence. I wanted to do this, however, I need to do that. We might be tempted to think, well, that's really too bad. Doggone it. Man, it would have been great to hear about the gospel. That would have been awesome. I mean, just to hear about salvation, but nope, we're hearing about this. But we've been in this one-page letter for now. This is the fourth week. We've been reading it, and we've been studying it, and I hope you've been reading it outside of here. I've been reading it almost daily, every day this month, and I can assure you of this. While it might have been Jude's intentions to warn and to help protect the church, he still talked about the gospel because he couldn't help it he still came about with a with an angle of the salvation that we share it's dripping off the page it's all over the place you can't miss it it's loaded in every sentence and unfortunately if he didn't have to talk about the uh, the Gossip, excuse me, if he didn't have to talk about the apostates that come in, we probably would have had one of the greatest expositions of the gospel ever. But he ended up having to talk about this other thing. But that does not mean that he didn't talk about the gospel. When the gospel shapes how we think and, and how we view the world and how we understand life and how we understand God and when we understand everything, and also because we're just overflowing with the gospel, then we can't help but to just pour the gospel out everywhere. It just comes out. Knowing the gospel well leads to living the gospel fully, which naturally leads to proclaiming the gospel boldly and all the time. That's what's happening with Jude. So I'd like to just show you. I'd like to, I'd like to run us through a quick survey of how Jude has still ended up showing us something about the salvation that we share. He still ends up talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in here, and I'd like us to see it. Now, here's the problem. I had a couple different ways to do this. It's kind of a conundrum. Do I work through Jude's letter in order, in a linear type way, like let's look at this, and then let's look at that, and then here it is again, and then here it is again? Or do I take the gospel and then show you where the verses plug into it? Okay, there's pros and cons to both. If I go linearly through it, we're going to hear about the fall, and then we might hear about uh, restoration, then we might hear about redemption and salvation, and then we might hear about creation, and then the gospel is going to be all jumbled up. But the order of Jude is going to be correct. But if I do it the other way, and I say, let's go about the gospel, then all the verses are going to be all jumbled up, and it's going to be confusing what the flow of Jude was. Pros and cons to both. How should I go about helping us see this? So you know what I decided to do? We're going to do both. (laughs) Let's start with the linear approach. Let's go through this kind of just in order, okay? So um, hopefully you have your Bible in front of you. You can kind of skim each verse as we go. But verse 1, in verse 1, Jude says that he's a servant of Jesus Christ. He's indicating that Jesus is the master. The letter itself is written to those who are called. Okay, called to what? What's he talking about? He's talking about salvation, a call to salvation. And this letter is written to those who are loved by God, which is huge. It's huge that God would love us even when we sin against him. And those who are in sin are separated from God. And yet, Jesus, our master, would save us from this sin by his perfect life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. And because of that, we can be loved by God. We can be reconciled by God. Awesome, right? Verse 2. Let's see if the gospel is there. Here we see a blessing of mercy, peace, and love. Now, you might not see it right here in the text, but certainly if we've read our Bible, we know that, that these things are only found in the gospel. We can't have them in any other way. They are the blessings of the gospel, they are the benefit of the gospel. True mercy. And true peace and, and true love can only come through Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross in saving us. And without the gospel of Jesus Christ, we only have harshness, strife, and hate. Okay, let's go to the next one. How about verse 3? Oh, there it is. This is where there's an actual mention of salvation. Yay, we're, we're coming around. We're hearing about this gospel. So if we need salvation, if we, if we have it and it's something we need, it's because we must be in peril. Why do you need to be saved if there's nothing that you need to be saved from? Oh, there is something we need to be saved from. they are sinners. There's salvation. Jude also mentions that we need to contend for this faith, this particular faith. That faith he's talking about is the saving hope of Jesus Christ. The faith he's talking about is good news. It's salvation. It's the gospel. And it was this good news, this salvation, this gospel that was delivered once for all, never needing to be edited or modified. Yay, the gospel. Wonder if there's any gospel anywhere else in this letter. Oh, verse 4. Now we have the mention of judgment. Right, and some of them were destined for it. Oh my, that's rough. Why? Because they sinned against the holy God. And because of our sin nature, and these people have denied Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Master, and that's written as being a bad thing, which then would tell us it must be a good thing to accept and to to confess Jesus Christ as our only Lord and Master, which is a necessary aspect of the gospel. Now, a lot of times we'll hear us, and sometimes we accidentally say it this way, but we'll say, hey, in order to be saved, you need to make Jesus your Lord. That's complete and utter nonsense. Jesus is your Lord. He's Lord. You don't have the power to make him Lord or not make him Lord. You only have the power to submit to him as Lord or rebel against him. He's Lord either way, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You just want to do it now willingly? That's a better time to surrender to him as Lord. That's an aspect of the gospel that's important. So here we have it in verse 4. Could there be more? Oh, verse 5. Now, when we read verse 5, and this is fascinating, if you want to understand how the Old Testament and the New Testament connect, this is interesting. Now it says that it was Jesus who saved the people out of Egypt. Do you see that? Oh, it was Jesus. The burning bush? Jesus. The pillar of smoke and fire? Jesus. The I am? Jesus. That's what Jude is telling us here. It was Jesus. And that serves as a as a living illustration for the better salvation that Jesus would give that we get to enjoy now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And all who didn't believe in that salvation then, and all who didn't turn to the the Savior then were condemned to judgment. Same is true today. Reject this Savior. Your fate is judgment. Accept this Savior as your Lord. Your fate is salvation. Let's keep going. Verse 6. The angels rebelled, which, can you believe that? Like, even the angels who had a whole different view, a different angle into heaven, into eternity, even that some of them fell and rebelled. That's frightening. And they're being held for this judgment that will come at the end. Ay, ay, ay. The rebelling angels will be judged and it won't be good. The truth is the rebelling humans will be judged, and it won't be good either. They're going to be put right there alongside where the angels are. Yikes. Oh, we could keep going, but I think you see where I'm going with this. We could work through every single verse. We could just work our way through this, and if I kept going, we would see the gospel in every single verse of this entire letter. I would even argue we could do this with the entirety of the whole Bible, We could look at every verse in the Bible, and we could see God's fingerprints that look just like the gospel all over Scripture. Now, for some of you, some of you have seminary degrees, some of you have taken a great interest in Bible teaching or preaching or or biblical theology, and you are completely aware of all the concerns and all the hornet's nest of debate swarming around what I just did and what I just said and how I handled Scripture. Am I creating something that wasn't in the original intent and in the original purpose of the author? I mean, surely not every verse in the Bible is arguing for the gospel, is it? That can't be the case, right? I mean, let's look at verse 4. In verse 4, Jude is offering a warning about false believers. Isn't that what he's trying to get at? They've snuck into the church and they're dangerous. Verse 6, he's making a point about judgment, And that even the rebellious angels will be judged. This isn't a plea for the gospel. His point wasn't that it's just the gospel all the time, right? Or maybe what I've done is the dangerous act of lifting a verse out of its context. And then when I do that, it has no context, and I can make it say anything I want. Have I done that? Maybe that's possible. Verses 1 and 2 are the greeting and the salutation, Verses 3 and 4 are the introduction and his purpose statement, and neither of these are contending for and compelling us to hear, receive, and accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, are they? So what am I doing? What am I doing? Am I just running roughshod over the text? Am I making a road where there is none? Charles Spurgeon. You guys know I like Charles Spurgeon, right? He's on my mug. Charles Spurgeon was famous for doing this. Take one verse and he would just, the prince of preachers would just preach us tremendous passages of scripture. He was famous for this and he even celebrated doing what I just did in the book that he wrote called The Soul Winner. This is what he wrote. He wrote, you remember the story of an old minister who heard a sermon by a young man and when he was asked by the preacher what he thought of it, He was rather slow to answer. Hey, do you like my sermon? Slow to answer. But at last, the old preacher said, if I must tell you, I did not like it at all. I like this guy. There was no Christ in your sermon. No, the young man said, because I did not see that Christ was in the text. Oh, said the old minister, but do you not know that from every little town and village, and tiny hamlet in England, there is a road leading to London? Whenever I get hold of a text, I say to myself, there is a road from here to Jesus Christ, and I mean to keep on his track till I get to him. Well, said the young man, but suppose you are preaching from a text that says nothing about Christ. Then I will go over hedge and ditch, but I will get to him. So must we do, brethren. We must have Christ in all our discourses, whatever else is in or not in them. There ought to be enough of the gospel in every sermon to save a soul. That is a tall order from Charles Spurgeon, and and one that I hope we do here. I don't know if we succeed every week, but we sure strive to. Here's the question. Is this what I'm doing? Am I going over hedge and ditch to get to the gospel? Am I making a road where there is none? In a sense, yes, and in another sense, no. Yes, I may indeed be plowing where there is no road where the original human author's intent was saying one thing. He wasn't intending to say what maybe I said, and it's important that we don't read things into the Bible it's important that we don't take things out of the Bible. We don't want to make the Bible say more than it says, and we don't want to make the Bible say any less than it says. We need to be very careful here. We don't, want to, we don't want to neglect the other things we find in the Bible about the Christian life and about ethics in this world and about worldview and about how we relate to one another. The Bible is full of teachings for the Christian. We don't want to neglect those things within the original intent of the author. So yes, in a way, I plowed right over where there was no road, But also, no, I'm not going too far, because I am convinced it is correct to say that the gospel is present here, because the entire revelation of God to us, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, is the story of the redemptive history of Jesus Christ for all humanity, which is just another way of saying it's all about Jesus, every bit of it. The big overarching point is the gospel. And within that, within that, there is guidance and instruction for how we should live and how we should think and how we should behave. And all of that is built and supported on the foundation of the gospel. So in other words, if the text is anticipating the cross and the gospel and looking forward to it, or if it's depending on what has been said and looking back to it, Everything in the Bible must be looked at through the lens of the cross. Okay, so yes and no. So, I could go through every single verse in Jude and show you the gospel, but for now, I will run out of time if I do that. So I just want to hit on a couple big ones. Some big, powerful ones. We've talked about them in these weeks. Verse 21 says, Wait expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Our salvation is coming if we trust the Lord, if we obey the Lord. If you believe that God raised him from the dead, and you profess that he is your Lord and master, which he is, you will be saved. This is undeserved mercy. We call this grace. This is how we get eternal life. This is what we hope for and wait for expectantly, which is what that says. Verse 24. It says, now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and without glory. This is the one he's going to be praising to. Who is this one he's talking about? Nobody other than Jesus Christ, the Lord himself, who will protect us and care for us and carry us. Do you hear it? It's only Christ that can make you justified. Okay, what is it to be justified? Being justified means you stand in the presence before the Lord Without blemish, without having to be punished, you would be totally crushed and totally destroyed in the presence of God if not for Jesus being totally crushed and totally destroyed for you. It is only by Jesus Christ this can happen. Praise the Lord. He's the one who can keep you from stumbling. He's the one who leads you. He's the shepherd whose voice you recognize, who he leads you out and you follow him and he has promised that he will not lose any in his flock. This one, you hear the gospel in this, not just that you were saved, but that you are being saved as he's leading you and protecting you and guiding you and you will ultimately will be saved when you stand in judgment on that great day. We have salvation now, we have it carrying forward, and we have our hope in it in the last day. Praise the Lord. Now, that's just kind of how we could go through some verses and see the gospel. I also told you we could go through it thematically. right? And there's, there's a few different ways we could do that. I'm going to take the gospel in some categories, four of them, commonly known as like creation, fall, redemption, restoration, these big themes. I'm not going to go through this in great detail, Uh, but I'm going to give you the verses, and I want to encourage that you can go through it. If you're taking notes, great. If you want to watch the video later and come back to it, great. Okay, where do we see the creation or God's design in the first part of the gospel? Verse 6. There are some other places, but verse 6, you can see it. Where do we see the fall and sin and judgment because of sin? Well, that's pretty much the whole letter. That's verses 4 through 19. Like We've been talking about that for weeks, right? Verses 4 through 19, it's everywhere there. Verse 1 is verse 6. I see people madly taking notes, which, praise the Lord, you're doing that. Let's be people who really are dedicated to the Word of God and study. Verse 6 was the first one, creation. Verses 4 through 19 is is the fall, ramifications of sin and judgment, and the judgment to come. Uh, Where do we see the redemption of Jesus Christ? Where do we see that salvation piece? You see it in verses 1, 3, 5, and then 20 through 25. Salvation's right there. Jude is talking about salvation. And where do we see the restoration and sanctification? Like the the stuff as we head to glory, as this this restoration, this beautiful picture. Are you ready? Verses 1, 2, 3, 5, 20, and then 24 and 25. I mean, the gospel is just all over the place. And we've been talking a lot about the gospel. I need to say this to you. It is absolutely important that you know that you need the gospel. That's why we point out that we're sinners. That's why we point out that we can't do it ourselves. That's why we talk through this. But knowing you need the gospel is not the gospel. Okay, It's important that you know what the gospel is. That's why we talk through it. That's why we teach it to our kids. That's why we understand it. But having those facts about what the gospel is in your mind are meaningless if you don't believe it live it, and trust in it, hope in it. You've got to believe it, and you've got to follow Jesus, or none of this means anything. Do you believe it? Do you believe Jesus lived a perfect life? Our translator right now is confused because I'm off my notes. Do you believe that by living that perfect life in your place, he was capable and able as the very Son of God to go to the cross and die in your place. Do you believe that He was put to death? Do you believe that He was raised from the grave on the third day? Do you believe that He ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God where He intercedes for you even right now? Do you believe that He's coming again and you will be saved on that great day of judgment? Do you believe He is who He says He is? And if you believe, will you submit to Him? Is He Lord? Does he know better than you know? Is he your Lord and master? What's your answer? There's no wishy-washy on this. There is or there isn't. Yes or no. What say you? If you have questions, I mean, admittedly, it's fair. You're going to have questions about these things. If you're working through it, you're going to have questions. We'd love to chat with you about it. We'd love to open up God's word and talk with you about it. We'd love to help you make sense of this and walk in this. So come talk with us. Let me know, right? I'll make an appointment with you right after the service to talk with you about the Word of God. Or here's a novel thought. You got a child with a Bible in his or her lap. Say, hey, what must they do to be saved and see if the kid can share the gospel with you? And if they can't say, hey, parent, why can't your son or daughter share the gospel? Like, okay, you better tell me, parent. So parents, now you're on the hook. Do you know the gospel? Do you live the gospel? Can you share it with somebody next to you who needs to know And hear the gospel. Anyway, we want to come chat with you. If you are in here, and praise the Lord for all the Ukrainians that are in here with the translator, I am sure we can find a Ukrainian to share the gospel with you in the Ukrainian language. They're not off the hook either. Okay, but there's something else I want all of us in here who call ourselves Christians to see. There's something else I want us as believers to see and understand. And this is the chief reason I'm preaching this way and why I am. Did you notice how much of the gospel just comes pouring out in every single thing Jude said? The gospel of Jesus Christ, his hope of the salvation that is to come, and his Lord and his Savior shape every aspect of his thinking. He is transformed by it. He is conformed to it. It is what identifies and marks him. When they see him, they had to have seen the gospel. The gospel shaping how Jude thought, it shaped how he viewed the problem and how much the church needed to understand the warning. All of it shaped by the gospel. And so although Jude set out to warn the church about these these dangerous wolves potentially coming in, he still spoke about the salvation we share Because he couldn't help it. He had no other words that wouldn't be formed and shaped by the gospel. He had nothing else to offer but what he had received once for all, delivered from the saints. He could not help it. It formed who he was. And it had become his true foundation for his every single thought. We've been talking about Charles Spurgeon. I've kind of been on a Spurgeon kick this week. So I want to share something he said in a sermon called The Last Words of Christ on the Cross, preached back in the 1800s. And I, I love this so much because Spurgeon loved John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress. Some of you know I love reading John Bunyan, not just Pilgrim's Progress, but a lot of his other works. Some of you, some of you give me gifts. I got a lot of copies of different things, and because you guys know I love this. I have a thing on my... Uh, Desk now that I got for my birthday that holds papers. It has a a Bunyan quote. Well, Spurgeon also loved John Bunyan. I think it was because of Spurgeon I learned to love John Bunyan. I want to read something to you he preached in that sermon. He said, John Bunyan had read the Bible till his very soul was saturated with scripture. And though his writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us his pilgrim's progress that sweetest of all prose poems, without continually making us feel and say, why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere. His blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul, soul is full of the word of God. If uh, if a needle were stuck in you, What would be drawn out? What have you filled your life with? What has shaped you the most? What influences you the most? What do you think about the most? What do you worry about the most? Because what you worry about shows you what you might need the most. What fills your soul? What pours out of you when you speak, when you talk, what's the topic you want to speak of the most? What runs through your veins? What drives all your thoughts? If we put a needle in you, what would come out? Now I wish I could say I was like John Bunyan and I just bleed bibline, Bible blood. I wish. I hope. I'm not there yet, but I really want to be. I want that to shape me, you know, more than the scroll of death on my social media, more than what's happening over there, what's happening over there, more than this thing, that thing in the world, more than this thing I should be afraid of, or this thing I should be excited about, or more than what's on all the streaming stuff, or more than even all the library books on my shelf. I want to bleed the Bible. I know that Pastor Josiah wants that too. That's what I want to be. That's what what I want. What do you want? I mean, really. There is a lot of crap on the internet and a lot of garbage on the talk radio and a lot of stuff coming at us every day from everywhere. Is that what you want to be full of? There's a derogatory statement people say about others that if I said here, you would fire me as your pastor. You don't want to be full of that. But that's what you will be full of if that's what you're taking in all day long. What fills your soul? Where do you want to be with this topic? What do you want to bleed? What do you want to shape you? What do you want to inform you? What do you want to move you? What do you want to come out when you're just talking with people about any topic? I think God wants us to bleed bibline. I think he wants us to be absolutely grounded and founded in everything about us in his word. He wants that to shape how we think, how we act, who we are, what we look like. I'm going to read two verses. I think they'll be up on the screen for you. I could read many more. But I just want to show you what God wants of us. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day day. And night. he's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that, that bears its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. And how about 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17? I think most of us probably know 16, but really land here on verse 17. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that, okay, for this reason, for this purpose, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The gospel must shape how we think. And it has to shape our view of the world around us. And it has to shape how we understand life because God is the giver of life. And it should overflow from us. It should come out of us everywhere. Knowing the gospel well leads to living the gospel fully, which naturally leads to proclaiming the gospel boldly and all the time. And it's good for us. It's where we find delight and joy and meaning and purpose and understanding and hope, and love. And knowing the word of God glorifies God. So seeing how Jude was shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ should challenge each and every one of us to be shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that even when we're talking about other things, even when we're doing other things, thinking about other things, everything that we're doing can just pour out the gospel that it's the undergirding of everything that we do. So that in all that we do, we are worshiping and glorifying the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, I, I speak for myself. Lord, I want to know your word better. And I'm sorry for all the times I've just wasted all the opportunities when I could have studied, when I could have sat at the feet of a good teacher, when I could have spent some time more in your word, but I was just too rushed and when I got stuck in the scroll of death on my phone. Lord, I am sorry for the wasted opportunities that you gave me to know you better. Help me, help me to be better about that, Lord. I speak for the church. Help us to be a church that is truly dedicated to your word, who is intent on knowing you. And, and Lord, help us be a people who are shaped by you and not all the competing voices coming at us. At this point, Lord, voices we think might not even be real. Election voices with motives and media voices wanting us to watch one more minute of the show and commercial voices wanting us to buy their product and friend voices who may be well-meaning or manipulative. and All the bombarding voices, Lord. God, keep us from getting confused by those voices and especially, Lord, do not let Satan's voice creep into that mix. But let us hear the voice of Jesus Christ and know Him and follow Him. And find delight in knowing you and joy in knowing you. Lord, let us be people of your word that when people see us, they go, man, that, that person knows the Bible. Man, that person, everything that person says seems to be rooted in God's word. And that person, that person really loves Jesus. Lord, let us be those people. And God, we're going to need your help because we are addicted to all the other voices. Help us break that addiction and know you well. And Lord, please help us see the gospel in every word of your Bible. And help us turn to it. And Lord, for any in here who are just starting to understand that you are the only Lord and Master, and they haven't yet surrendered their lives to you, help them to surrender your life and trust you. Because that's a big leap for some people. And it's a miracle for all people. So God, I am asking you would do that work. And Lord, all of it would be for your glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit RedeemingLifeUtah.org.